Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the Executive Director, and Kevin Kukaji, the Chairman of the Board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters Podcast. Uh, well, Gary, we have a special guest today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about this guest yeah. today. I think he's been here before. A couple times, maybe? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I miss one. <laughs> and for family reasons. Oh, it's not a special guest. It's a, It's actually our third host. Oh, he's back. He's back. Kevin's Thank back. Thank you, guys. Welcome. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. Uh, but yeah, but it was your idea to start giving each other heck about stuff. Okay, so great. We're cutting you down a little bit. Thank you. I'm already short as it is. Um... I didn't. We. I didn't come into this super prepared, but you guys did, and uh, I think Gary has something that um, is super relevant to what is going on right now, since the General Assembly is now in session. Yeah, we're in full swing. Yeah. So uh, because of that, I think there's a there's a piece that Gary wants to go over that I think is pertinent to that being the case now. Well, first off, too, I think for anyone tuning into the podcast. It's really, it's worth going back to the beginning, but definitely want to make sure everyone goes back to February 2nd. Listen to episode four, our podcast with Benny Smith and Garland Favorito on election integrity. We had a, a, a honestly, for me, uh, it was a riveting conversation because personally, I, I've been knee deep into the, the medical freedom fight. I'm really starting to learn and grab a hold of more information concerning election integrity. And, um, Last week was a good one, so make sure you go back and check that out. But what, what I want to throw out here today and get some feedback on, and I, I feel – I already feel the bubbling in Kevin's soul. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we've been fighting now for, for a long time against tyranny from a federal perspective, federal overreach, which recently some of which has been upheld by our Supreme Court, which is incredibly disheartening. Uh, and we've talked about that a little bit. But all of these mandates from employers and whatnot in terms of whether or not you can have gainful employment uh, if you've been vaccinated, mm -hmm. right? So this has been the conversation we've been having for quite some time. We had a special session last year, uh, which to some degree, to some degree, did push back on those mandates and preserve some semblance of liberty, if you want to call it that. Uh, here in Tennessee. But if you've been following Tennessee stands, you know that that omnibus bill that we passed, first off, expires on July 1st, 2023, which was a big problem in terms of the intent of the bill being to preserve constitutional liberties. But you but you don't understand. The virus is going to be gone by then. Right. So it's we gone. Don't, so we don't have to worry about preserving yeah, no, liberties. Yeah, yeah. We, we're eradicating it. Yeah. Or is it the fact that it's going to be further uh, FDA approved by then so right. we can mandate it. Yes, yeah, right. we know what they're mm -hmm. doing. So we're we're still we're still trying to 
further that bill to provide more protections because right now, today in Tennessee, health care workers are, fall under this uh, federal CMS mandate, which has been upheld by the court, and health care workers are getting fired left and right. And our health care system is going to suffer for it, mm-hmm. by the way. That's going to be the outcome. So we have Representative Jason Zachary out of Knoxville who is running a bill. Sounds, sounds good. You know, he's running a bill to preserve religious exemptions to a requirement for vaccination uh, for healthcare workers. That's the public, the public stated purpose. However, though, Kevin, if you don't mind, yeah, I, I give, I've given you a copy of this of mm-hmm. this bill because it's a great way to start out. You know, we always it, it's important to know well what does the bill say. So just read the the very first sentence of the bill. This is House Bill 1867. Okay. All right. Section 1, Tennessee Code Annotated Title 14, Chapter 6, is amended by adding the following as a new section. An employer that requires a person to provide proof of vaccination or requires an individual receive the COVID-19 vaccine must grant the person an exemption to the policy if, Section 1, The person provides a valid reason for a medical exemption supported by a statement that has been signed and dated by a licensed health care provider. Well, before we go further, though, because then it goes on into religious exemptions, but it it was the the very first part. Mm -hmm. And then I'll repeat it, too. Yeah. An employer that requires a person to provide proof of vaccination or requires an individual receive the COVID-19 vaccine must grant the person an exemption to the policy if. Right. So what's the what's the premise there? What's the tone that we're setting right in this bill? As the common man on the street, I even understand this one. Yeah, do you do you get what's happening here, John? We you, pa- you tell the audience what's we happening. We passed an omnibus bill back in what, November? Uh it passed on October thirtieth. October. Signed into law on November twelfth. Okay. That states you cannot discriminate employment based on the, the vaccine. Right. Cannot take adverse action, right? Right. You Based can't, on your vaccination status, you can't status. do it. It's illegal. That's period. Tennessee state law. You can't do it. We made that happen last year. That's right. Representative Zachary here is introducing a bill that basically says, "But if you do break Tennessee state law, <laughs> you have to give these people an exemption." Right. Yeah. You deserve an exemption. You get an exemption. So you have a sitting if your representative introducing law. a bill that says you can break the law, but if you do. This yeah. is how you have to handle it. I mean, it. if you're going to break the law, at le- the least you can do is grant these people an, an exemption. <laughs> Did I get it right? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> well, let's, mean, let's add more context. Who ran the omnibus bill in the first place? Representative Jason Zachary. And who's running this second bill that says that if you break the bill that Zachary ran? I believe it's the same guy. The same guy. Representative yeah. Jason Zachary. So does that mean we're going to get a new piece of legislation every time people break the law? We're going to get more exe- we're going to get another exemption. Yeah, yeah. An we're going to pr- to the exemption pr- to the exemption. That's right. We're going to we're going to we're going to protect your liberty. We're going to give you all you're going to get all of the exemptions. <laughs> because because it sounds like our liberties come from Jason Zachary or the Tennessee legislature not mm. from God, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Exactly. All right. Okay. Wouldn't it just be a whole lot easier to just like protect liberty in the first place? 
instead of going through all of these different pieces of paperwork and bill filings and time to argue with each other, just do it in the first place. So we have a clip uh, that we're going to play here in, in just a second. And, and before we do, I just I want to say one more thing because I think you'll find this rather interesting. Understand what we're doing, okay? And, and, and this is, by the way, you also need to understand the politics of this. This bill that Representative Zachary is sponsoring is co-sponsored in the House by Leader William Lamberth. Now, why does Leader William Lamberth co-sponsor bills in the House? Because those, for those who may not know, who is William Lamberth? He's, he's, our, he's a, the leader of the Republican Party. He's a representative in the Tennessee legislature. He's, he's the majority leader. Okay. He only spon- co-sponsors or sponsors bills whenever those bills are supported by the Speaker of the House. Mm. The Senate version of the bill is being carried by Senator Jack Johnson, mm. who is the majority leader of the Senate. He only carries bill whenever the bills are supported by Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally and ultimately supported by Governor Bill Lee. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's told me that personally. Mm. Gary, I just just carry bills for the governor. That's what I do, Gary. I just carry bills for the governor. Mm. All right. All right. So understand what's happening here. This what this bill is I I have I have been on my soapbox about this for who's running for reelection this year? Governor Bill Lee. Yeah. Who is awesome? At creating headlines. <laughs> What's going to be the headline of this bill when it does pass? Because it will pass. We saved everybody. We, we did. We, we provided religious exemptions for all the people. We protected everybody. But let me make sure that I'm clear. Last year, one year ago, Tennessee Stands ran House Bill 10, sponsored by Representative Jay Reedy mm-hmm. and Senator Mark Pody in the Senate. That bill would have secured religious exemptions to all vaccinations and for all employees in the state of Tennessee. Had that bill passed last year, every single employee in every sector of the economy in the state of Tennessee would have been legally required to be allowed to have a religious exemption to this vaccine for the last year. But that one died a very quick death. That one died a very quick death. And who killed it? Representative Robin Smith, Mm. because she was nervous that her Baptist church's daycare would not be able to mandate the hepatitis A vaccine to the daycare workers, and all the kids in the church were going to get hepatitis A and die. Now, (laughs) fair to know that the CDC says that no one dies from hepatitis A, Mm. and you prevent the spread of hepatitis A by washing your hands because it passes through stool. Mm. So what you're saying is it sounds like that was pretext. Well, guess who? Guess who's also co-sponsoring this religious exemption bill? I'm gonna guess Representative Robin Smith. Robin Smith. Yeah. Mm. So now I've told you all the political hubbub around this bill that's going to save everybody. Uh, roll this beautiful bean footage. With trying to be very careful how I say it, the federal government of the United States. For the last 22 months, 22 months, I didn't say the last year, for the last 22 months has failed the American people. We as the Tennessee General Assembly have to do all we can to protect the people of our state. The federal government has failed us for the last 22 months. I did not say the last 12, the last 22 months. It's egregious what has been done in this country, egregious. 
We as Tennesseans have to do everything we can to protect the people of this state against an, an, a federal government who uh, Governor Haslam used to say has become an unreliable partner. I heard Governor Haslam, the two terms I served under him, he said that numerous times. I'll take it a step further and say the federal government has become an adversarial partner to states. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop. I'll stop there, Mr. Chairman. Go. So for context, that's Representative Jason Zachary, correct? Speaking. This was speaking for this, for the bill, House Bill 1867 in subcommittee this week. Okay. Okay, I've got a big problem with that. Okay. Uh, but for context, can we roll it one more time? Because this, I really want to emphasize something that I just heard. Okay. And I'm, and I'm stunned and it, we need to draw a line under it. We need to highlight it. We need to put an exclamation point by it because I can't believe what just came out of this representative's mouth. Okay. With trying to be very careful how I say it, the federal government of the United States for the last 22 months, 22 months, I didn't say the last year, for the last 22 months has failed the American Okay, like, let's stop it right there. The federal government? Hmm. Now... Didn't we have an emergency declaration in the state of Tennessee mm -hmm. that was imposed 22 months ago? Yep. Right? The federal government, our state government declared most of us non-essential. Our state government refused to pick up the torch and defend liberty. And now during the election year of Governor Bill Lee, suddenly it's the federal government oh, it's the that feds. has created all of this problem? Are you kidding me? It's really good it makes marketing my blood right there. Boil. Yeah. It makes my blood boil. You know what? That's a great point. I don't know that I really caught that with where I was heading. Well, yeah, we, we do have a lot to cover. But that is that should infuriate mm -hmm. anybody who lives in Tennessee. Now, maybe he's speaking for people beyond our borders. But if you are a Tennessean, you know that we have been petitioning the governor and the legislature for the past 22 months until he finally lifted it. Yeah, the federal government never called Tennesseans non-essential and shut their businesses down. The federal government never limited our gatherings to more than 10 people. The federal government never, by executive order, forced Tennesseans to stay home under civil penalty of law. The federal government didn't create, at taxpayer expense, these slick videos that said wearing a mask is really the important thing to do and, and manipulated people into thinking that if they weren't wearing masks, they weren't responsible. Mm -hmm. The federal government didn't continually tell us through tweets and social media, even as recently as what, Gary, maybe a month ago, that quote-unquote vaccines are safe and effective? Safe and effective, nonstop. Unbelievable. That wasn't the federal government, Representative Zachary. That was the state of Tennessee. Those were executive orders signed and executed by Governor Bill Lee. Why and where in the world was this kind of interest in liberty when all of our jobs were taken away? Where was this interest in liberty when we were told we had to stay home? Where was this interest in liberty when we were told that we were non-essential, that we couldn't go to church, that we had to wear masks? Are you kidding me? It's reprehensible to be able to blame the federal. Yes, the federal government has always been a problem. By the way, <laughs> it's funny. He said the federal government has been an unreliable partner. And then he goes on to say an adversarial partner. No, a partner is not an adversary. They are an adversary, yeah. not yeah. an adversarial partner. Yeah, um, yeah that, that really burns me up, Gary. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just kind of, it kind of lit my fire this morning hearing someone because I get concerned that people outside of the state of Tennessee, who I talk to all the time, they're under the impression 
that Tennessee is this magical state and it's not California, it's not New York, um, which it's not. But they they give our legislature and our governor a pass as if we are doing something to protect liberty, and it's so superficial. It is superficial, and uh, and the people in Tennessee have been punished um, by a governor who has invested himself with authority, and he has not been stopped by the legislature. He's declared himself invested with that power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. Mm. And um, so, yeah, we can we can go on to the the context of this bill, but I had to say that because it. It really bothers me when someone stands up and on the surface pretends to be serving the interests of liberty, um, denying and pretending the fact that he didn't suppress our liberties for these last 22 months. John, I ain't going to lie. It's fun seeing Kevin get fired up. It is. That might be the first time I've seen that. It's intense. Like in person. I've seen it on TV. <laughs> I haven't seen it in person, though. Look, I I think my 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 point in bringing this up is is honestly— not to disparage anyone, but if any member of the General Assembly is listening to this, the point is I want you to recognize and listen to the words that you say, because the people of Tennessee are watching your actions. We're watching and we're reading the words that are being put onto the paper. We're go- we're, we are going to read these bills. Fair enough, We've shirked our duty for a long time, and we've ignored all of this. But right now in 2022, we're watching. And the issue is that you're willing to step up to a microphone and declare your desire to preserve liberty and your duty to defend the Constitution. Yet you run bills that do and will do no such thing. If liberty is the premise, if if individual liberty per constitutionally secured rights is the premise, then why are we not running the bill that just puts the nail in the coffin, right? Why is the bill still just for COVID-19? Why is is liberty only deserving it just for COVID-19 and for no other vaccination? And only until... July of 2023. And only until 2023. Why are we we still accepting that? And why are we talking about religious exemptions to tyranny? Why are we not just doing away with the tyranny altogether? Mm -hmm. See, that's that's preserving liberty. And the argument from some folks would be, well, well, Gary, it's because we don't have the votes, so we're just trying to get something done. Get the votes! God doesn't need your votes. It's fun watching Gary get fired up, too. <laughs> Isn't it great? But I've seen that quite often. <laughs> Gary's always fired up. That's what gets me fired up. God doesn't need the votes. Our liberties come from God. A legislature can think all they want, or they can pretend that they are granting these rights. But um, we know from our founding documents, which simply instituted what is true, right, that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from where? The consent of the governed, Mm. right? And their job is to secure these rights from God, to secure these liberties. John Winthrop, the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, explained the proper end and object of authority of government is liberty. That is the essence. So any bill that pretends that it extends liberty, aside from the fact that this bill is only going to end up being another bill and another bill, or... What, what I think is more likely to happen is it'll be brought before a court, and we know that courts aren't enforcing these mm-hmm. anyway. 
companies are ignoring religious exemptions that are bound and founded upon our constitutional rights. What makes them think that a little piece of paper from the Tennessee legislature is going to do any different? It will still be ignored. The very fact that he's created a bill <laughs> to address the violation of the bill that they ran just four months ago right. proves the point. Mm-hmm. Important to note, to your point, the CMS regulations, the federal regulations that are requiring hospitals to require vaccination of these healthcare professionals, those CMS regulations already require the medical providers to accept religious exemptions. Okay, so the employers are already breaking the federal regulation. So we're now restating the federal regulation in a state law and assuming that, oh, well, now, though, now they're not going to break the law. Mm. Doesn't it sound like a parent who's out of control of the child, right? Mm-hmm. The child disobeys the parent. The parent says, well, I'm really going to do something bad. The child disobeys. Well, this time I really mean it. You're really not going to get your cookie. The child disobeys. Well, if you do it one more time, I'm really not going to give your cookie. It just shows you who's in charge. The legislature has no power here. This bill is useless, and I just don't want to—I'm not going to let him skate by on it. But to further this, Kevin, you, you walked in with—we with, uh, started a discussion about—because uh, where, cause where does this go whenever you can't depend on uh, federal regulations and law and whatever to defend the, the, your own, the, the liberty that you know you have given by God? What do you do with that? Well, and before we get there, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, you said that— you know, if if anyone from the legislature is listening to this, uh, we're watching. So what I hope is happening is that people like me, who have gotten involved and opened up their eyes over the past two years, are watching and seeing what's going on and listening to what we're saying and watching what we're doing as an organization and learning at the same time. But I'm hoping people see through this crap now. Yep. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. We, like, have, we have to. You, I didn't understand politics two years ago, and I didn't understand the marketing behind politics two years ago. So, like, to your point, Kevin, this is all a re-election thing. Yeah. This is a re-election headline. Yeah. And, and most people don't see that, unfortunately. But I'm hoping the past two years has opened up enough people's eyes to actually see that now. Yes, to be able to, to distinguish between what something appears on the surface— and what something really is, because the politicians are counting on their whole business depends upon people being ignorant, not being able to distinguish what something sounds like versus what something really is. But, you know, Shakespeare had a line that said, the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. An evil soul producing holy witness is like a villain with a smiling cheek. Oh, what a goodly outside falsehood hath. Mm. And that's exactly what this is. That's what's happening yep. here. Yep. Deception. Anyway. We don't have a legislator that works. A legislation that works. Where, where does that take us? You, you, you mean legislature? Legis legis that what? works. What did I say? <laughs> you said legislation. Although that we too. don't have legislation that works either. <laughs> it all applies. <laughs> yeah, I think Gary wanted me to tell this story that, um, and this is just one example, but it happens all over the world. And from time to time, we have answered questions. People say, "Well, what do I do?" I've, I have a law that says I'm not allowed to be treated differently based upon my point of view or based upon my status and my medical situation, and yet I am being discriminated against. What do I do? And at some point, people have to be aware that civil disobedience is in order. 
Um, if the Constitution says they can't do it, but they go ahead and do it, then your duty to uphold the Constitution is actually to disobey these unlawful mandates. Well, I want to tell a story about what's going on or what went on recently in Bolivia, because um, I frequently have pointed to people that we need to start looking at socialist and communist regimes, places where people do not have legislatures that are at least intended to respond to the people's um, desires and their consent, because I think it's instructive for us in America um, what, what may be necessary in the future. I'm going to read this story, which is from the Epic Times. It's dated January 20th, 2022. I'll give um, not the whole story, but I want to give the context. So on January 19th, the administration of Socialist President, and let me make sure I get this name right, Louis Arque. Sure. Sorry, I don't know Spanish. So he canceled the requirement of proof of vaccination against the CCP virus to enter any public establishment or place of commerce. The announcement was made by health minister. Here's another one. Jason Auza. The Movement for Socialism party officials announced the original Supreme Decrees on December 28th, which triggered nationwide protests and legal backlash, especially in the cities of Santa Cruz, La Paz, uh, Cochabamba, El Alto, and Sucre. Uh, indigenous people in Bolivia have always been distrustful of these medical initiatives. So let me tell you how they did this. On January 17th, protesters established road blockades leading from the city of El Alto into the capital city of La Paz. The head of the rural magisterium in La Paz, right, so this is local government, Rudy Kaliasaya, said the blocks would stay in 20 provinces in La Paz department until the government agreed to dismiss the vaccine decrees. So the roads that Kaliasa pledged to impede with other protesters are a vital part of the supply chain allowing food and essential goods to arrive at La Paz. The city draws the majority of its goods from the vast Bolivian countryside. Solidarity protests held against the decrees in Cochimbaba on January 18th were met with an aggressive police response. Now, this is important, too. Opposition to the vaccine mandates erected road blockades at key points along a certain avenue and other areas in the southern part of the city. Police arrived in the afternoon, removed the blockades while firing tear gas at the unarmed dissenters. Later that evening, the demonstrators returned in larger numbers and rebuilt the road barriers. On January 19th, after 48 hours of intense standoff with civilians opposed to the mandates, the government agreed to cancel the orders requiring proof of vaccination. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, civil disobedience always works because governments always, whether governments recognize it or not, they get their power from the people. And when they lose that power from the people, they no longer have the authority. Yet to exhibit civil disobedience, number one, you can't do it alone. It has to be done in large numbers and growing numbers. It doesn't start in large numbers. And you must be persistent. You can't go away. Had, had the Bolivians protesting given up after the police came in with tear gas and removing the road barriers, then it would have been ineffective. And you, in fact, would have probably given more power to the socialist regime at that point. Something similar happened in, in the 80s in Poland. Pope John Paul II, I forget, I, I can never say his name right um, because his, his real name was different, but he led uh, political dissent um, against the communist regime in Poland. And one of the things they did very cleverly, and you can read about this, by the way, in um, Chuck Colson's book, Kingdoms in Conflict. He gives a great account of this. 
but I'll summarize because it's similar to this Bolivian uh, effort. The people were denied the right to build a church. They would not, they, the, the, the civil government would not give them the permits to build a church. So the church got really smart and said, okay, I see you're building a lot of car dealerships around here. We're going to submit a permit to build a car dealership. So the church submitted a permit and got approved. It wasn't the church, it was a different organization. But the people of the church submitted a permit to build a car dealership. And then for the next 18 months or two years, behind walls, they built this, quote-unquote, car dealership. And after they had finished building it, they tore down the walls and, and ta-da, what was built was a church, right? So that was success number one. But the government, of course, immediately took action. The government started to come toward that church with bulldozers and arms. They were going to tear the whole thing down. Had the people not taken action, that would have been the end of it. But you know what the people of that church did? They circled the church, and they put their own lives at stake. And they said, if you want to roll this church, you've got to roll us first. And the government didn't have the ability. They really didn't have the moral authority at that point and the support. Um, and they knew the world was watching, that if they rolled the people, that it would be international news. Mm -hmm. So it's a two-step process, right? Civil disobedience is important, but you cannot give up. And I think that ties to this trucker initiative, which is going on in Canada. Yeah. It's so important that they be supported and not give in because they will win. They will have impact. Um, and it will inspire other people. You know, courage is contagious. I, I'm just inspired by that. And I think we need to be thinking about that as legislatures and executives roll our liberties. We need to think of different civil ways to disobey. What is, that, what is the update with that trucker? I mean, they rolled into Capital City, right? They did. Prime Minister conveniently got, uh, right. he and his family all got COVID and so went into hiding. Um, but he was still tweeting from hiding, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And, Feeling well enough to tweet yeah, yeah. and to disparage the uh -huh. truckers as a small minority, notwithstanding the fact that their convoy has set, I think, a world record, if not at least a Canadian record or a North American record, 42 plus miles long. And they have a separate initiative, or it's, it's connected in spirit, blocking the um, border between the United States and Canada in Montana. And um, so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, from what I understand, were trying to deprive them, and may still be depriving them of, of fuel and food and, and access for other people to, who are supporting them. But the truckers, praise God, that the truckers met together, and they were honest. They said, okay, do we have the wherewithal to stand together? And they had a vote, and the truckers agreed, we're going to stay here until they remove us by force. And they actually said the Lord's Prayer together. So this is, um, this is not going to go away, mm -hmm. and it, it's definitely getting international attention, despite all the suppression of the mainstream media. Well, Webster's had a lot of changing of definition of words lately. <laughs> I believe now if you look up coward in the dictionary, there's a picture of Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. That's good. And you, you would hope— or. I've been hoping that we would see more of that in America, and um, shockingly, you're you're not you're you're not seeing those kinds of really large movements of people resisting tyranny um, in in America, like you're seeing in European countries and in Latin America, and with this convoy. It's you know, America seemingly has done a really great job of exporting the desire for freedom uh, mm. around the world. And it's scary to think that maybe have we exported too much yeah. <laughs> of it where we, we didn't keep any for ourselves. Yeah. Um, you, you know, that reminds me of something that a, a 
general in the military told me recently, and this is this is going to tell you what happens now, why we we don't we've stopped exporting liberty, and this is what's challenging. Did you know that during the Obama administration, and I forget which African country, so don't hold me to the facts of which country, but there is an African country, might have been Nigeria, but one of those African countries in meeting with United States military commanders with respect to a certain, I, I, I think it was a, a change of government, change of leadership issue. I believe it was the Nigerian people, but whichever African country actually came to the United States and said, we want to establish a government founded on Christian principles. And the response that they got from the U.S. government during the Obama administration, so the Defense Department under Obama, actually told them that Christianity is incompatible with the mission of the United States. Wow. I'll say that again. During the Obama administration, our Department of Defense told an African nation that believed that they were <laughs> going to be celebrated for wanting to establish a, a, a nation whose foundations were on Christian principles actually had the nerve to tell them that Christianity is incompatible with the American mission. Hmm. Let that sink in for a moment, and that will tell you what has happened to the fabric and the, and the core of what we are as America. Hmm. Let that sink That's in. really sobering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, my mouth dropped when he told me that. There, there are so many things that have happened on the world stage that I think so many of us are very unaware of. Look, here, here's in all the things that we've, we've discussed here on this episode, the, the bottom line is that we, we can't just say the words anymore, right? It's not enough. And whether that is putting our legislators in the position of uh, forcing their hand at passing laws that actually uphold our constitutional rights and preserve liberties, or whether it is putting it out to the people that, listen, your, your dependence upon someone else to do this for you has got to stop. This is our responsibility. At the end of the day, all of this, which you mentioned earlier, Kevin, operates uh, on the consent of the governed. And we, we have to stop giving our consent to unlawful, unconstitutional authority, and we must reject it at every turn. And so from, from the uh, prospect of people and, and civil disobedience and you know, not living life in such a way that is complacent and compliant uh, with everything that is happening around you and in terms of men and women that we elect to our General Assembly, we should have a, a very reasonable yet high expectation uh, that they will not run bills like HB 1867, but but run bills that truly um, strike at the core um, of the push of the – because, look, I, I don't disagree. Yes, we are facing, I think, a kind of federal overreach that I'm not really so certain we've ever seen in America. I could be wrong, but it's it seems to me that the level that we're seeing right now of push from the federal government is, is extreme. So, yes, I agree with that premise, uh, which is all the more reason that we should be running bills in Tennessee that completely fly in the face of all of that. But – I belabor the point. Uh, the more fun thing is, I, I see Kevin pulling out his yellow pad, and you know what that means. Oh, wait. I, <laughs> no, I was actually looking for something else on the same yellow pad. Something that you were saying, Gary, toward the end, um, you were talking about, well, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. It sounded like you were saying also we can't depend upon the people in the legislature, at least the current group, and I don't just mean that specific to our jurisdiction, 
in general, we seem to have selected the wrong, the wrong kind of men. And if I may, I just want to read something really quickly here. Can we agree that the future is unknown to us mm-hmm. as Certainly. men? Right? Yep. And if we knew in 2018 that what was coming in 2020, I think we may have chosen different leaders. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years have exposed the futility of electing rich and powerful men whose framework for governing is to increase the power, profit, and opportunity of big business at the expense of the people. If the last two years have taught us anything, it is that the American order cannot be sustained by weak men who give lip service to liberty. We don't need men and women with new strategies. We need men with an entirely different orientation. If we expect to keep what little freedom remains, if we expect to regain any of the security and sovereignty of what has been lost or altogether abandoned without our consent... I believe we must choose for our leaders men who know the starting point for all things. Proverbs 1.7 tells us plainly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A free and civil society requires men who, like our founders, recognize that our liberties are the gift of God. Men who possess a moral imagination rooted in the understanding of the true condition of the hearts of men. Men with moral clarity who can distinguish between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men. Men who demonstrate the moral courage to uphold these convictions in all circumstances, no matter the cost. For when one's governing philosophy is that our rights come from God, and that governments are instituted among men for the purpose of securing those God-given rights, then and only then can we be assured that whatever the challenge, known or unknown, it will never be confronted without the consent of the people. Man, that's good. You know, you know what's interesting about how you started? I don't know that I've ever really sat down and pondered that very specific question you asked. Have have we really thought about if we go back to 2018, you know, if, if we knew what was coming, how, how would we – because you're right. This is what we do, right? We select the, the popular – you know, independently wealthy, the name we see on the signs mm-hmm. across the street. The, the, it's, it's a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. I mean, politics has always been that way. Would we have been willing to, to go a completely different route and do this, you know, very differently than we ever have before if we really mm-hmm. knew and perceived what was coming just two years later? Mm-hmm. The answer for me is emphatically yes. I would have done things very differently. Yeah, and that's why whenever we choose our leaders, we can't ask them, what are you going to do on this bill? What are you going to do about this education policy? What are you going to do? That is so, first of all, it's superficial, and it could become stale tomorrow, as we saw in 2020. Right. We must choose men and women who, like the men of Issachar, right, as the Chronicle says, understood the times and who know what to do. And we've done a lot of bad selecting in the past, and this is why we have what we have. But I think It's all about not what strategies, as I I said in those written remarks, it's about men and women with an entirely different orientation. Their starting point must be different. Their starting point must be the starting point of our founders. Um, And there's very few men and women out there in political positions who have that. We know that all among the grassroots, that's where those yeah. <laughs> that's where those qualities are. Yeah. They're outside the official leadership, and until we get those people on school boards and in the legislature and in in business leadership positions who understand where these liberties come from, that's where we'll begin to see a transformation of society. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, excellent conversation as usual. But before we get out of here, this bill, House Bill eighteen sixty seven, that 
Representative Zachary's running. There's so that my question's twofold. First of all, this bill, what what can listeners do, or if anything, what's what sort of action should they take with this bill? Uh, I, to be quite honest, my point wasn't about. I don't think there's any action to okay. take. I, this bill is such a moot point. Yeah, you know, it, let it pass. Fine. Who cares? It's already federal law. It's already a federal requirement. So it's let let it pass and and let the governor have his ticker tape parade. Okay. Secondly, what are we as an organization? What what's what's our bill that we're trying to get uh, passed? And to that point, are, are, is there anything our listeners can do to support that bill? Yes. Yeah, so so that bill is SB twenty one fifty one, and that's sponsored by Senator Joey Hensley. And in the House, that's HB. 2452, sponsored by Representative Terry Lynn Weaver. And this bill, again, I think in in videos and other content we've put out, I've talked about this a lot, but this is modeled after the Montana bill. This Mm. Because the Montana bill is the only law in the country that has passed that actually has deemed all of this nonsense discriminatory. So this bill would cut to the root. It would amend Title IV, our Human Rights Code, and it would simply make the practice of requiring a vaccination or proof of vaccination discriminatory in terms of employment and in terms of good and services in place of public accommodation. Not only does it make that discriminatory, this law does preserve your right to take someone to court. But as we all know, courts suck mm-hmm. and nobody <laughs> wants to go to court. And and by the way, it's expensive to go yeah. to court. And by the time the judge has determined to do anything, you've already lost. Everything has already happened yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. You've already lost what you were trying to defend. So this bill actually creates a civil penalty for those who um, who are found by our Human Rights Commission. So, so the Human Rights Commission would be required by state law to adjudicate these issues. And when um, there's, there's different levels of penalties, but at the point at which a, a person or an entity has committed more than two of these violations – they're fined by the state $50,000 per occurrence. Hmm. Now, do you think that might deter yeah, some of these bit. folks from continuing to break the law? Yep. And that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to pass a law that says this is wrong. It's discriminatory. Stop it. Trying and, to put some teeth in the law. That's right. And by the way, this bill has nothing, and I mean nothing to do with COVID-19. This is across the board. It's just medical freedom. No one should make you. No one should have the legal authority or ability to require you to shoot something into your body that you don't want mm-hmm. in there, period. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. Okay. So if if you believe – so we're, we, we're, we would love for Representative Jason Zachary, as much as he loves liberty, to co-sponsor this bill in the House with Representative Terry Lynn Weaver and fight for this bill on the floor like he's, like he's fighting now. This is the bill we should be fighting for. So are you telling listeners to call Representative Zachary and get him to sure. co-sponsor? Absolutely. What's you, the, what's you the can, bill number again? You can go to uh, House Bill number uh, 2452, Senate Bill 2151. You okay. can go to capital.tn.gov, and you can find all of this contact information to your legislators. There it is. Listeners, ratings and reviews, those are always helpful. We love those. Especially if they're good. <laughs> yeah. We'll take them if they're bad. But. Yeah. Uh, and as always, Joe Rogan's always welcome. Always, always so, welcome. Come on. You always have a place here. <laughs> if, uh, especially if they kick you off of Spotify. I mean. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening. 
All right. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.